Hey, I'm Sailor. It's another episode of Metal Rockin' Whiskey, and tonight, we ain't... So, for the listeners that might be new to the show, we sometimes compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, and very professionally debate the merits. And as always, in the end, only one album or artist will reign supreme. That's right, Matt. And tonight we are battling yet again. And tonight is a particular battle I've been really, really looking forward to. Hell yeah. We will be discussing Def Leppard and battling pyromania and hysteria against each other. I can't wait. This should be a scintillating conversation, but before we get into tonight's discussion, let's talk whiskey. And tonight it is our boy Ed who has the whiskey segment. But first, Sailor, what are you drinking tonight? Me? You! I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking a hot toddy because it's freaking cold outside, and it was a rough day at work today, so... Um, I've using my wild turkey 100 in there, and um, I'm all out of my precious maple syrup um, that I still had a little bit of from the Indian Creek Distillery in Ohio, and um, I've been sampling local syrups, and um, yeah, I'll find one I like. Is but. it a bourbon barrel maple syrup, <clears throat> Indian Creek one? It is. It goes in their rye barrels, actually. Oh. So yeah, it's even better because it just that is even so better. So they, um, we would dump out the rye barrels and we would take it over to. It was a local gentleman who um, would boy would you know we'd call him and say hey we got barrels ready he'd start boiling up the sugar and um, we'd bring the barrels over and it would go in hot, super super hot so it would caramelize again the inside of that barrel. Mm. When it went in there, and it's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm gonna plead a little bit of ignorance here. I'm kind of ashamed to say I didn't know that uh, Wild Turkey made a 100. The 101. What did I say? Oh, 100. 101. Sorry, I don't. I, oh, okay. That makes sense. How <laughs> splitting splitting hairs over one proof. I don't. <laughs> what the fuck ever I said. <laughs> Clearly, I haven't had enough whiskey tonight. Yeah, so we're okay. Or I've had right, too then. many. I don't know. This is a small cup, right? I've only had two of these. <laughs> that cup's almost as big as your head. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like half the size, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of these mugs that people are supposed to like dump a can of soup in and eat their drink. Yeah, it for is soup, not that <laughs> Yeah, it big. is. That's a soup mug. Is it? That is a soup mug. Yes, yeah. it is. Shut up. It's my hot I bet you it comes mug. retrofitted with a top, too, that you can put on. I keep am. It, does it say warm. Campbell's on the bottom? I'm a grown-up, and I can do what I want. It does not say Campbell's soup on the bottom, smartass. All right. It was red and white, so just checking. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that correction, because I don't want to sound like a freaking idiot. I don't okay, know why I no said problem. 100, but you know what I meant. <laughs> anyway. I didn't want to assume. <laughs> Enough about me and my hot toddies. Somebody else go now. 
<laughs> How about you, Matt? What you right. drinking? Um, well, I'm drinking Willet Pot Still Reserve bourbon. And unfortunately, I just opened it and the cork broke and fell in. So Ooh, it kind of sucks. Uh-oh. That's yeah. not good. So my first couple pours had some unwanted sediment in there. But um, <laughs> luckily, I'm maybe not luckily, but I'm not really digging it that much. So it's so-so. I mean, it's not... It's um, a little floral for me. I don't really like looking for the floral notes in bourbon so much or American whiskey. I kind of like it more in my scotch and my Irish whiskey. Hmm. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. Maybe is I'll, that maybe, the one that... Maybe, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask you, is that the one that comes in that, that cool yes. still, or yep. pot still shaped bottle? In the cool bottle? looking bottle. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Any anyone I've ever heard talk about that has never, I mean, said it's been okay or just no one's. I've never heard anyone really say any glowing reviews about it. So the Willet. Yeah, I like Willet. Oh, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's crap, but I've never heard anyone talk about how great it. You know, honestly, was. I. <laughs> It's funny, it's not a go-to pick for me. It's not a go-to bottle I'll grab off the shelf. Um, and it's moderately allocated. I mean, there's stores that have it yeah. behind the counter and, and locked cases, and it's like, really? I don't know, I don't see it. Like, for, for that amount of, you know. Now, you're right about the pricing. The pricing is all over the map, because I see people post pictures um of these and sometimes you'll see them for i don't know thirty dollars and other times it'll be like eighty dollars yeah i've seen it 40 to like a hundred is the range i've seen on this one yeah maybe i would would never i would never pay more yeah i've never i'd try it but just to see what i think you know i think i got my will it for 30 bucks or something like that in ohio i think i think Mm -hmm. that's what i something like 35 if it's under 40 bucks like okay but yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'm just like I'm not giving it a fair shake only because I'm pissed about the cork. But was the cork dry? Maybe it's a bad bottle. I've had it for a while, and I just decided to open it today. What's the What's hmm. the proof on that? It's pretty dry. Um, Ninety four. Okay, so fairly low. Yeah. Well, it's either your fault or the whiskey's fault. This is bone fucking dry. It is not my fault. <laughs> In the case of my Eagle Rare, my famous bottle of Eagle Rare, it was definitely the whiskey's fault. That was the whiskey's fault for sure. That was very strange. <clears throat> well, that's a bummer, Matt. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. What can I say? Alrighty. Well, I just happened to be drinking my whiskey segment selection the tonight. The hell you so say. Let's get into that. <laughs> All right. Well, to start out with, um, I'll just have to talk about uh, Def Leppard. Because Def Leppard just happens to be one of my favorite bands of all time. Definitely in my top five and probably a serious contender for number two right after Metallica. Um, I've been, been a fan since I was 13. And so I've probably spent more total hours in my life listening to Def Leppard than probably any other band. Cause that's been a, been a long time. Um, one of my favorite bourbons 
is one that I've de- definitely now I've consumed more ounces of than any other bourbon in my collection at any time because I buy this by the handle. And one of my favorites is a always a dependable go-to pour, and that would be, this may come as a shock to some people, other people maybe not so much, but Evan Williams Black Label. I know I've had this on the show before as what are you drinking segment, but this is the first time I believe I've used it as my whiskey segment. And so I could not think of a more appropriate bottle of whiskey for me to myself to pair with Def Leppard than this. To me, it's just perfect, you know, because I can basically listen to Def Leppard almost anytime, anywhere in it for any occasion. And the same, I would say, for Evan Williams. I could drink it in a cocktail. I can drink it straight, um, drink it casually or drink it. Hey, even if I'm having a, a dinner event with someone, I mean, I don't care. I just love it. So for those reasons, that is my whiskey pairing for tonight. Evan Williams, Black Label. And there I goes like our it. larceny sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just sent me a text and said we're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Larceny. I love you too. I, I mean, like that, it. That, yeah, I mean that's you know, Evan Williams Black Label, man. Can't go wrong. That's a sol- that's a I mean, super that is my- solid. That's whiskey. one I always have a handle of also. It's always that always. whiskey. Always. Yep. Always. Well, thank job, you Ed. for that, Ed. You're welcome. So, um, does anybody know where Jake is? Yeah, Jake ditched us again. Mm. Well, Unbelievable. I got an email from him, um... So I can tell you what I think is going on based on oh, yeah? the email. What did he tell you was going on? Well, there's um, there's a place uh, called, I think you pronounce it Bhutan. Are you familiar with this, with this place? B-H-U-T-A-N? Bhutan? Yeah. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah, that's over in Asia somewhere. It's in right? the Himalayan kingdom. Okay. And um, they actually measure... Gross national happiness. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, GNH. Yeah. 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 Um, And so I I guess what happened was Jake was asked to go over. I don't if you remember his he talked about his parents being missionaries when he was younger. And Mm -hmm. um, so they moved around a bit. And um, so he got his dad was going on uh, kind of to supervise a mission in Bhutan, and he decided to go with him. And um, they were, uh, you know, they're they're interested in in. Um, <laughs> I can't even get this. <laughs> <I'm> laughing. <laughs> oh God, they're interested in possibly producing whiskey um, as a new. Uh, product um, to come out of this country. So I started to look up the country and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that he's over there doing that. It's really cool. Mm. You know, what is Bhutan all about? Well, here's an interesting fact. Most of its houses are decorated with images of erect penises. Oh. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Erect so, penises. Um, 
Are you sure they're not just candles? No, they're actually <laughs> penises. And um, oh, okay. it, I guess it's because there was a Buddhist teacher way back in the day who, um, the, this is how they say, cleverly dispensed enlightenment through his penis. <gasps> So now yeah, I know a few guys who would claim that as I, well. I, I do yeah, too. I actually do know a well. lot of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So um, apparently, drawings of big dongs on your house will ward off evil spirits and bad luck. So um, it'll definitely ward off something. Yep. So there you go. That's that's where Jake is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so he just went over there for the dick pics. Probably. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Zing! Well, Wait, as great of, what I was throwing down, as <laughs> great of a story as that is, and as much as I want to believe it, that I do not think that is true. <coughs> because uh, he why sent, ever don't you think it's true? I don't because you know what he is actually. You mentioned his dad, and he is actually with his dad. He actually sent me a telegram the other day. Yes, a oh, telegram. Telegram. Yes. <laughs> so he sent me a telegram from actually Northern Africa the other day. Amazing set of circumstances that happened here. I mean, apparently uh, his father like has this diary that he writes in about all this like biblical stuff, and you know that they're looking for that that lost oh. bottle of four roses, single barrel. Yeah, that which I mentioned last week. Pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, for some reason, the Germans really wanted his father's diary. <laughs> And they kidnapped okay. him, and so he had to go to, like, Austria and break what? him out of this huge castle and everything. And uh, then all of a sudden, they're on their way to Rome. They're in Rome, and then they went to northern Africa to some old ruins looking for this Four Roses single barrel. And there's booby traps, and he has to do all this <laughs> biblical stuff to try to find this Four Roses. So it's been kind of hellacious. So, But uh, they haven't I found it yet. Why do I feel like I'm having deja vu right now? Yeah, I know. It's like almost it reminds me of a movie, just like the what way you described it last well, week. I don't know about that. Well, what I really want to know is what kind of man keeps a diary. That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> An obsessed one. That's I really guess so. Apparently, but, you know, I mean, he's having a hell of a journey, and I really hope he finds that bottle. I really do. It's going through a lot. Sure. Yeah. That's some crazy shit right there. Some crazy stuff. Getting his family involved and everything, Jesus. and uh, I don't know what the Germans want with it. God knows. I mean, I really thought that they were more amicable than that, but I guess not. Hey now, <laughs> I'm kidding. Germany. We love you, it's a story. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we love you. We love everybody equally. Oh, enough of that. Yeah, have you got a timeline for a sailor? Um, I do actually. Alright, so let's get into our topic of the evening, which is Def Leopard. And um, I've mentioned this a little bit before we started the show. It's really funny because it's never the same when I go to prepare a timeline and a bit of backstory on these bands. Um, sometimes it's a band that's, you know, been together since the 60s and they've done a million things and it's just really easy to put their backstory together and sometimes it can be a band that's had a shorter career and it's very difficult um yeah Def Leppard was they they've had a much longer career I think than most people are gonna 
realize. I, I have a feeling that most people assume they kind of just started with, you know, their popular albums. So um, the the band actually formed in 1977, um, and they're a British band, for those of you that may not know that. And they were... Um, they were in the period and are considered part of the new wave of British heavy metal um, that came out in the late 70s from Britain. Now, of course, today we would be like, what the fuck? They're not heavy mm-hmm. metal. Um, but if you go back to their first and second album and you th- and you put it alongside some of the other bands that were also considered British new wave heavy metal, it makes a little bit more sense. Something like their their more popular albums, no, it doesn't make sense at all. But of course, we would never call them heavy metal today. Um, so the band is uh, Joe Elliott on lead vocals, Rick Savage on bass, backing vocals, Rick Allen on drums, um, backing vocals, and Phil um, Collin on guitars and backing vocals, and Vivian Campbell on guitar and backing vocals. This is the longest lineup. So we're going to talk mostly about this lineup, and they've all been together since 1992. Um, so it was actually Joe Elliott, lead singer, that proposed the name Def Leppard, which um, was originally a band name he thought up while writing reviews for imaginary rock bands in one of his English classes. That's got to be one of my favorite how the band got their name stories, to be totally honest. I never heard that story. I didn't either. And I remember (laughs) watching their rockumentary, and maybe I just glazed over it. I don't know. But um, I've seen their behind the music and that, you know, the, well, we'll talk about that. Yeah, Um, yeah, super. I I, I love that. I think it is one of my favorite stories. I'm just imagining him as a kid doing these fake reviews for fake bands. Yeah. so it was actually uh, one of their uh, producers that said that they should s- modify the spelling and it'll make them seem um, more more punk. So, um, and then in 1978, Steve Clark joined the band. And um, according to Elliot, uh, he successfully auditioned for the band by playing Leonard Skinner's Freebird in its entirety. <laughs> I, I love that. That's, wow. That's another fantastic one. Like today, you'd be like, get the Longest fuck out of here. Ever. Yeah, seriously. But you'd also be like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> Fucking bar band music. Um, all right. So uh, still back way in the day. Um, it was uh, they had a three song release that was known as the Def Leppard EP. And um, Kenning abruptly left the band, and he would later form a band named Cairo. And by the end of the month, Rick Allen, who was then only 15 years old, had joined the band as its full-time drummer. So um, the EP that they, that three-song EP that they released, um, and one of the most well-known tracks was Get Your Rocks Off, was given extensive airtime um, by then a very, very renowned BBC radio DJ named John Peel. And he was actually, is considered um, to be the champion of punk rock and new wave music um, in Britain at the time. He actually broke a shit, I mean, the list would go on forever, a shit ton of the bands that, uh, bands that we have spoken about on the show and that most of us listen to. Um, so throughout 1979, the band developed a loyal following among British hard rock and heavy metal fans. And 
were considered at the time among the leaders, like I said, of new wave British heavy metal. Um, and their growing popularity finally led to a record deal. Um, Def Leppard's original management <laughs> were, however, fired after their previous manager and Joe Elliott got into a fist fight while they were on the road. <laughs> so the band approached Peter Mensch of Lieber Krebs Management, who had already booked them um, on a bit of a UK tour supporting ACDC. Mensch um, admitted that he did have his eye on the band and uh, decided to become their manager. So their debut album, which was called On Through the Night, was released in March of 1980. And although this album hit the top 15 in the UK, many early fans were turned off by the perception that the band was trying too hard to appeal to Amer American audiences and had kind of gotten away from their sound from that first three-song release. Um, they had songs called Hello America, and they were touring the U.S. a lot more than they were touring the U.K. at the time. They were supporting Pat Trapp. Travers, ACDC, and Ted Nugent. Um, and then there was a performance at the Reading Festival in August where, at this, the same year where audience members expressed their new feelings about the band by pelting them with beer cans and bottled filled with piss. Hmm, lovely. Um, the incident was partly blamed on a cover story in um, a music newspaper. Uh, there was a journalist named Jeff Barton, and he wrote an article titled, Has the Leopard Changed Its Spots? Um, he was accusing the band of selling out to the American market. Um, later in a documentary, um, they talked about this, and Barton was interviewed and said that he feels very guilty and did feel guilty over the story. And uh, he says he remembers having a stand-up row with the band's manager, Mensch, backstage at the so show. So British. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of odd how something like this would come up so early in their career. Usually something like this doesn't happen until, you know, they've yeah, had a few albums out. Absolutely. For, this is all, seems awful early for something. I, I this agree with you. I agree. But I guess that first three-song EP was just such a hit and they gained so yeah. many followers. And then I'm to be have to touring, seek that like, out. well, then to be touring too with like yeah. bands like ACDC, I mean, come on, you know, that's a hell of an audience. But, um, so in the same, um, in that same documentary, Joe Elliott actually said the media totally exaggerated the event at the music festival. He said all the bands on that same day were experiencing abuse from the crowds, throwing bottles and cans at them and shit like that. So he said it was, it, it, they had just kind of put those two things together and made more out of it than, than what it really was. And I, I believe that for some of the reasons that you just stated, um, so at the same time, the band caught the attention of ACDC's AC producer, um, very famous producer, we all know, Robert John Mutt Lang, Mutt -Lang. who agreed yep. to work on their second album, High and Dry, which was released in July of 1981. Um, Mutt's meticulous approach in the studio helped them really begin to define the sound that they were looking for. Um, despite the album's unimpressive sales figures, though, the band's video for Bring In On The Heartbreak became one of the first metal videos played on MTV in 1982. I remember that very mm -hmm. well. Um, the band continued to use up and coming music television industry to reach its fans throughout the years, um, with unique videos and really the extravagance that they put in their concerts. They, their, their concerts were definitely fit for television for sure. Um, 
After the album's release, European and American tours followed. Um, the band opened for Ozzy Osbourne. I remember that as well. Um, and then on in July of 82, Pete Willis was fired due to excessive alcohol consumption on the job and was replaced by Phil Collin. Um, he came from a band called Girl, and he was replaced the next day. <laughs> this all happened during the recording of their album Pyromania, which was released um, in January of 1983. And that was also, of course, produced by Mutt Lang. The lead single, Photograph, turned Def Leppard into a household name, beating out Michael Jackson's Beat It as the most requested video clip on MTV and becoming a sta- staple of rock radio, dominating the U.S. album rock charts for six freaking weeks. And, of course, sparked a headline tour across the U.S. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, then the singles, Photograph, Rock of Ages, and Foolin', Boom, all went on to sell that made help. Sorry, all went on to help the record sell six million copies in 1983. That's more than 100,000 copies every week in that year. And only, um, the only other album that was held at the top of the charts was, um, Michael Jackson's Thriller. They think it's the only reason it didn't go to number one. So the album's massive success, Pyromania, was the catalyst for a lot of people believe the 1980s pop metal movement. So they are really credited with that. Um, And just a little note here, in 2004, Pyromania was certified diamond, having sold over 10 million copies in the U.S. For fuck's sake. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, diamond, that's a hell of a... (laughs) Wow. Not surprising, though, what I mean. No, it isn't. I mean, when you... Everybody I knew had this album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you think about the songs that it's on the, that are still being played on the radio, probably yep. rather ad nauseum these days, and we're all sick of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, come on. Um, so, all right. So, then... Um, they did a U.S. tour in support of the album. They were opening for Billy Squire and then doing headline performances. And they ended with a headlining performance um, of an audience of 55,000 people at the Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, California in September. And um, as a testament to the band's popularity at the time, a U.S. Gallup poll in 1984 saw Def Leppard voted as favorite rock band. They were voted above the Rolling Stones, ACDC, and fucking Journey. That's ridiculous. But I, what I love about going back with this band is I have a feeling that people who are younger than us, probably 10 years younger than us, probably only really know Def Leppard as being that band, like, pour some sugar on me and the band mm-hmm. is played on the radio all the fucking time and don't really mm-hmm. realize how popular they were how big they were and how they they were standing on the sh- literally on the heads of a lot of other bands that were much bigger than them at first yeah they were one of the original true supergroups yes as the term that's always been been used a lot them you know they were in you know company with like van halen mm-hmm. at the time was another one which was up there acdc but uh, and it doesn't seem like nowadays you have any bands that can really compare any co- there are no contemporaries to some of these bands 
I agree with you. I really don't think there are. I mean, not uh, to have hard success to like yeah. this is insane. Um, and and what's interesting is, so you have that's like ridiculous success. So they followed up. This is their breakthrough success, right? So they follow it up in February of 1984 by writing the follow-up to Pyromania. So, of course, Mutt Lang was initially joined in on the songwriting sessions, but then suddenly he declined to return as a producer due to exhaustion, it was stated. And um, Jen Steinman, who produced Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell, was brought in to finish. Um, And then on December 31st of 1984... Drummer Rick Allen lost his left arm in a car crash on the A57 in the hills outside of the band's home city of Sheffield. Allen was driving with his girlfriend at the time when his Corvette swerved off the road onto a sharp bend and went through a fucking stone wall. Uh, I remember that. Oh my gosh, we were like, oh god, that's the end of Def Leppard. I, it's like... I remember thinking yeah, that the same thing. That's what everybody thought. Depressed. It's everybody so depressing when I heard about the, that. Everybody thought um, it was over, and yeah. maybe they would replace him with another drummer. But he was a—that's another thing that perhaps the younger listeners might not realize—is he became famous after he lost his arm, of course, because of the way he came back. But he was a big personality in that band. Um, he was always a showcase piece. If you saw the band before he lost his arm, if you if you watch footage from concerts he was given a lot of solos and he was he was a showpiece in that band so Mm. that's why we all just went oh god i think the band's over um but it it was not despite losing his arm he was committed to being to continue his role as the drummer the band was absolutely committed to to supporting him through that and waiting for him and um, he believed right away. And I think he said it was literally like two days after, two or three days after, he's like, get me a drum kit. Get me a drum kit. I mean, he didn't even skip a beat. And he felt that he could use his legs to do a lot of what he had previously done with his other arm. So um, he designed a custom electronic drum kit. And um, he was put in separate studios to practice his new drums and his new style and get back into shape. And after a few months, it was just a few short months, um, he gathered the band together and said, okay, I'm ready to play for you. And he um, <laughs> he performed Led Zeppelin's When the Levee Breaks to showcase his progress. And this has been talked about in a lot of their documentaries. Joe Elliott said that it was a very emotional moment. Most of the guys were crying like they could just feel like how proud he was of himself um i can imagine i i yeah so um during this period mutt lang also recovered and so he came back as producer and um they brought in jeff rich um in 1986 to play alongside alan during def leppard's warm-up um gigs it was like a mini tour in ireland and um, there were a couple of times the band couldn't fit two drum kicks on the stage. And they just said, you know what? We don't need him. Alan can do this. It's not necessary. Um, and and there it was. And uh, in 1986, they played the Monsters of Rock Festival in England. And um, they said it was a very emotionally um, charged ovation after Joe Elliott um, introduced... Um, introduced him and it's 
It's something that you should definitely check out. Just Google 1986 Monsters of Rock Def Leppard and you'll see what I'm talking about. When it came time for Joe um, to uh, introduce Alan on drums, the crowd went absolutely fucking nuts. Like you could just, it's it's a very moving video. And so I think that that must have felt so amazing to him that his fans were just like, fuck yeah. And he was really ready to make his comeback. Oh, yeah. So it's just super cool. So after three years of recording the fourth album, Hysteria, um, it was released on August 3rd of 1987. And one of the first singles from the album was Animal. And it became the band's first top 10 hit in the UK, reaching number six on the UK singles chart. And then Animal also started a run of 10 consecutive US Billboard Hot 100 Top 40 singles. Um, And Hysteria immediately topped the UK album charts in its first week of release and has since spent 105 weeks on the chart. Nuts. Um, US album sales were relatively slow compared to Pyromania until the release of the fourth single, (sighs) Pour Some Sugar On Me. The song hit number two and Hysteria finally reached the top of the US Billboard 200 in July of 88. Often, this this makes me sad and it's going to be really difficult for me to speak aloud, but I got to say it, um, not my words, often regarded as the band's signature song, Pour Some Sugar On Me, was ranked number two on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 80s. Now, let's clarify, if you're probably of the same feel, the only reason you feel that way, I'm sure, is because it's been so overplayed. Oh, because it became the stripper song. The slutty, slut, girl in a bar, or stripper song. But that's what other people have made of it. I know. I know. I'm trying to remember what it what it. Try to remember what what it was like when you first bought the album and listened to it. I can't do it. (laughs) You can't do it. I can't do it. That song has been fucking ruined ruined but anywho um so the band's uk success got them nominated for um best british group in 1988 and then um in 19 same 1988 october the power ballad love bites reached number one on the billboard hot 100 let me fucking tell you as a young girl back in, in the day we used to sit and i think we've spoken about this before we would I think it was Friday nights and Saturday nights. You could call into your local radio station and you could dedicate songs to people. Yep. yep. <laughs> and I, oh, yeah. I was, tr- I mean, everybody, I'd run into my bedroom, you know, pretend like I was sleeping. I would have my headphones. Friday night request line. <laughs> yep. The request, and so, cause you had to hear someone from your school or one of your friends yep. and it was just nonstop. And once again, we're going to play <laughs> Love Bites, dedicated to Sarah from Phil, you know, like, at such and such high school. He says, please, let's get back together, or whatever they would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the, I remember we had a, um, okay, so, what year was, that was 88, right? So, 88. 87. Was, no, it was 88. When Hysteria came out? Yeah. Got the album right in front of me. No, 1987. Love Bites. No, no, no. Love Bites. Oh, and Love Bites. Hit, okay. Yeah, Love Never Bites. Yeah, it was released gotcha. as a single and okay. hit the Billboard Sorry. 100. Yeah, it was 88. So anyway, I was in high school and I remember 
I don't know what prom it was or what dance it was, but Love Bites, everybody was slow dancing. It was, oh, I love song. Oh, so romantic. Christ. That's another song that just got ruined. Um, all right, so moving forward to 1989, the band scored another U.S. top five hit with I'm a getting it. And by really getting it, <laughs> I'm a goodness. Um, by spring of 1989, the final single "Rocket" was in the top 20. Oh my god! Another oh man, that song yeah. was played so much back then. Um, so wanting to give fans something new after the massive radio and video airplay for not only the seven singles but the album tracks that the radio DJs were playing. The band decided to perform Tear It Down, a Hysteria B-side, at the 1989 MTV Video Music Awards. Can you see this? <laughs> nice. This is a... Sh- I'll have to sh- put post this on Instagram Do along it. with the uh, yes. this album, but this is a... Yes. An art project we had to make in high school where we had to uh, design an album cover for one of our favorite bands. Is that? And is I that designed one an the- album cover for Def Leppard and, and the album cover, it, the album is called Rocket. Is that one of the dongs from Jake's Village? <laughs> <laughs> Say, I want to see other of your phallic artwork from school. Actually, it looks like one of the uh, the SpaceX rockets. Uh-huh, sure it you does. think about it. Sure yeah. it does. <laughs> well, they- I know what you had on your mind as a teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so speaking of that um, MTV Video Music Awards performance, I remember that, and I remember them playing "Tear It Down" and going, "Huh, I can't believe they didn't play one of their popular songs." Um, but nonetheless, they felt like it went. It was a hit, and it um, ended up on. Their following album, Adrenalize. So, a couple interesting things. Hysteria is only one of a handful of albums that has charted seven singles or more on the U.S. Hot 100. That's that's a hell of a thing. So, um, Women, Animal, Hysteria, Pour Some Sugar on Me, Love Bites, Armageddon It, and Rocket. Wow. Um, so, this album remained on the charts for three years and has sold over 25 million copies worldwide. Jeez. Um, so just as successful at the time, the band did a 16-month tour. Um, and that's when they started to perform in the round, it's called. This concept proved very popular with the fans. You can see them do this in the videos for Pour Some Sugar on Me and Armageddon It. And it was used again for the Adrenalize tour. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, so at the 1989 Brit Music Awards held at the Royal Albert Hall in London, Def Leppard were again a nominee for Best British Group, and the band performed Pour Some Sugar on Me at the ceremony. At the 1989 American Music Awards, Def Leppard won Favorite Heavy Metal Hard Rock Artist, as well as Favorite Heavy Metal Hard Rock Album for Hysteria. That's a lot of success. That's what I mean about this band. It's like success mm-hmm. after, like, just hit factories. Um, so then we're going to move past um, Hysteria 
and they come out with their album Adrenalize. This was a huge change in musical direction for them. Their guitarist Steve Clark's alcoholism had him in and out of rehab constantly. Um, recording sessions suffered because of this distraction. And in uh, somewhere in 1990, he was given leave of absence from the band. Sadly, shortly after that, he died from a mix of prescription drugs and alcoholism um, in January of 1991. The remaining band members decided to carry on and recorded the album as a four-piece, um, with Colin mimicking Clark's style on his intended guitar parts. Def Leppard's fifth album, Adrenalize, was finally released in March of 1992. Again, this album was a big success. Um, it entered at number one on both the UK and US album charts, staying on the US charts for five weeks. The first single, Let's Get Rocked, was an instant hit, and the band performed that song at the 1992 Video Music Awards. It was nominated for Best Video of the Year. Um, they were also uh, appeared at the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert at Wembley Stadium. They performed Animal, Let's Get Rocked, and Queen's Now I'm Here. Um, with guitarist Brian May, and then Joe Elliott performed Tie Your Mother Down with the remaining members of Queen and Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash. So in a period between late 1991 and 92, they began to audition for another guitarist. Ultimately, the band chose Vivian Campbell, who was formerly of Dio and Whitesnake. Amazing guitar player, in my opinion. Um, another world tour followed, but the band's fortunes began to be accessed, uh, be affected by the rise of alternative rock and grunge. Um, so they decided that they wanted to start balancing their image is how I've seen it said. I think I'm going to say changing their image to try and appeal to mass audiences because obviously that's who they appeal to. Um, they performed in 1993. They performed their first ever rock concert at the Don Valley Stadium in their home city of Sheffield um, before an audience of 50,000 people. Um, so at the, uh, this period, I'm not going to go into all of these in detail, but they're, they are releasing singles like Gangbusters, um, tons of singles. They're all hits. They're appearing on so many movies. Last Action Hero, um, they're, I, I mean, it's just, again, hit factories with just lots of soundtracks, songs and soundtracks and singles and so forth and so on. Um, in October of 95, the band entered the Guinness Book of World Records by performing three concerts on three continents in one day, Tangiers, Morocco, huh. London, England, and Vancouver, Canada. Um, so then in 1996, they released the album Slang, and that marked a drastic musical departure, um, featuring darker lyrics and stripped-down alternative rock-type sounds. Um, the, the audience reception was not a good. Uh, no. This album was first recorded, um, was the first recorded performance of Rick Allen playing a semi-acoustic drum kit since his accident and not his electronic set. Um VH1 revived the band's fortune actually in 1998 by featuring them on the first episodes of Behind the Music. Reruns of the episodes yielded some of the highest ratings and brought the band's music back into the public public consciousness. Um, the episode was even parried on Saturday Night Live. Um, so, in an effort to capitalize on this new momentum, Def Leppard returned to its classic sound with the 1990 album Euphoria. The first single, Promises, reunited the band with Mutt Lang and hit the U.S. mainstream rock charts at number one for three weeks. The record would be certified gold in uh, U.S. and Canada. Then on September 2000, 
Def Leppard were inducted into Hollywood's Rock Walk on Sunset Boulevard. And um, VH1 produced and aired Hysteria, the Def Leppard story, a biopic that included Anthony Michael Hall as Mutt Lang and Amber Valletta as the girlfriend of Steve Clark during the accident. Um, so it's kind of a docudrama. It's, it's very entertaining. I highly recommend it. Um, so then Def Leppard's 10th album, X, saw the band's musical direction moving more towards pop and further away from their hard rock roots um, did not do well. Oof, it was their least successful release. Not good. Um, And the accompanying tour did not do well either. Um, So then there was The Best Of, which was released in 2004. And then there was um, Songs from the Sparkle Lounge in 2008 and 2009. I mean, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even really want to get into a lot of this shit. They're going to sell out everywhere they go. Everything they do is successful, but their new music is not being, um, I don't think the fans are loving it. Like they're loving yeah, their performances no. <clears throat> of their old music. Speaking so, as a fan, I, I can c- concur. Yeah. You didn't mention a while ago, you did like their newest album though. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a different story. Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. So they, so basically, I think where this band is at right now, just to sum this up so that we're not here for hours and hours going through this backstory, because it's mm-hmm. a lot, um, they, what, what, whatever tour they want to do, it's going to be in, in crazy popular. They are one of the most famous hard rock bands, period. Yeah, um, I've seen them in concert. Yeah, they're amazing awesome in concert. concert. I've seen them yep. several times. Um, and they're still, I, I saw them, you know, I think 10 years ago, something like that. So still kind of recent, you know, mm-hmm. just as good, honestly, as when I saw them in the 80s. Just as good. They still have all that energy and excitement and yep. talent. Um, making new music, I think they just, I, I don't understand why they don't realize if they can still sell out you know, stadiums by playing their stuff from Hysteria and Pyromania, go back to making music like that. That's what's working. But they don't. That's that's what they did with their last out al- their well, latest album though. They more, kind of Okay, I'll it's more like that, sure. Um yeah. sure. Uh so there, there have been rumors here and there about the band breaking up, and I honestly don't think it's ever going to happen. There's never been a lot of strife in this band. They always say they're just going to keep playing till they drop dead, and I assume, I really believe that's what they're going to do. So, um, so that's our backstory on the band. I hope that it gives the listeners just a little bit more information if you're not super familiar with the band, and also to put it into perspective how wildly popular this band was and is. Um, and so we just want to put that out there before we get to the album battle. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get into battling hysteria and pyromania against each other. So put your gloves on, guys. Let's do this. We are back. So. Yes, we are. <laughs> let's get into this discussion. I'm going to start us off with a few things. Um, okay, so we are battling Pyromania, which, as a reminder, came out in 1983. It came out at number two on the U.S. Billboard charts. Now, here's also what was charting at the time. So this is what it was up against. 
Beat It, Michael Jackson, Let's Dance, David Bowie, Flashdance from the Flashdance movie, um, Every Breath You Take from the Police, All Night Long, Africa, Man Eater, Sweet Dreams. Those are some heavy, heavy hitters. Side one, you have Rock Till You Drop, Photograph, Stage Fright, Too Late for Love, Die Hard Hunter. Side two, Foolin', Rock of Ages, Coming Under Fire, Action Not Words, Billy's Got a Gun. All right. Then we're going up against Hysteria in 1987. Number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. The songs it was up against at the time, Walk Like an Egyptian, Living on a Prayer, Alone by Heart, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, You Too, Here I Go Again, White Snake, and Bad, Michael Jackson, and Faith. Again, big hitters. Side one, we have Women, Rocket, Animal, Love Bites, Pour Some Fucking Sugar On Me, Armageddon It. (laughs) <laughs> side two gods of war don't shoot shotgun run riot hysteria excitable love and affection so those are our two albums who would like to begin well i think i should start here as one of the og deaf lover fans go right ahead man <laughs> here <clears throat> first of all this pyromania came out in 1983 so let's set the stage i am 13 years old in eighth grade and for me this was like this was my gateway to heavy metal album right here um that was hugely popular in my school everybody had this album um i remember one day in uh we had a science class we did something you know he was demonstrating how a strobe light worked or whatever and he turned off all the lights in the room and he he said he asked someone to bring in an album to play so he played this album they were playing rock rock till you drop and he turned on the strobe lights in class it was awesome and uh but yeah this so many good hits on this photograph die hard the hunter is was really cool Foolin', rock of ages i mean I don't know what else I can say about this album, except it was the perfect album for me at the perfect time. Um, and yeah, after that, I was hooked, hooked completely. Um, such a solid, solid album. And it was like sailor said a million times. It was hugely popular and for good reason. Um, at the time, this was, this was rock. uh, This was hard rock. This was metal at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, by, by the standards of the day, so Matt degrees, disagrees that by the standards of the day, this was not heavy metal. Because he was around back then, right? <laughs> Matt. Anyway. What do you say? I, 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 you're, you're dying to rebut, I can tell so, by looking at you. Give me the floor for a few minutes. Go ahead. You hyenas over there. <laughs> so I was very quiet during the timeline. And because I was saving, I was stockpiling all this ammunition right here. So (laughs) let's roll this back for a second, all the way to the beginning of Sailor's timeline to when she mentioned the new wave of British heavy metal. And Mm -hmm. to her credit, she did uh, put an appendix on that saying at the time, Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. they could have been shoehorned in with that group that came over um that is utter bullshit because number one for for, for the people that listen that don't know the first wave of british heavy metal we're talking sabbath 
we're talking Deep Purple and what Judas Priest maybe first wave. So this new wave, pretty much from seventy seven maybe to eighty two, when those first three bands had already established themselves as huge acts here in the states. Um, so what do you have with that new wave of British heavy metal? Just a couple of the bands: um, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Saxon, um, Raven, Diamond Head, Blitzkrieg. Um, to throw Def Leppard in there and their sound is not doing justice to those other bands because when you put them against Motorhead and you put them against even Iron Maiden, um, it's just not. I mean, you could say that that's what it was called back then. I totally disagree because it's not what that was back then. I'm sorry. Um, but that is think, how it is qualified. If you look up lists of, like, just Google but, search heavy metal in 1983. I'm going to tell you right now. I just did it as you're talking. Ten best metal albums of 1983. Caught in the Court in the Act by Satan. Metal Health by Quiet Riot. Shout at the Devil, Motley Crue. You're going to have the same problem okay, with that, so I fact, assume. So, so, Show, wait a minute. Show yeah. No Mercy, Slayer, Melissa, Merciful Fate, Pyromania, okay, Def Leppard. Bark at the Moon, Ozzy Osbourne, Peace of Mind, Iron Maiden, Holy Diver, Dio, Kill em All, Metallica. I mean, that's just how things were qualified back then. If it was, mm-hmm. if it was harder than anything you know, that was a norm on the radio. It was considered heavy metal. And I get and, for lack of a better, uh, I hate to say subgenre, but for lack of a better take categorization. take away from any of the other bands. No, it they were really For lack of a better categorization, I can get it, I guess. But at the same time, I still find that there's such an outlier with their sound that they could have put them in something else. Put them in the fucking pop. Put them in but pop they weren't. That was not. They, pop. Oh, that was not. That Michael was Jackson not and Madonna were pop at the pop that, at the that time. That was. There was no. This is the thing that no people don't realize way. is what you hear on the fact that Lamb of God could be played on the radio or or Oz, the fact that Crazy Train gets played on the normal radio now is absurd mm-hmm. for those times. You would. Ne- mm-hmm. I mean, this shit did not get radio play. It was too hard. It was too loud. It was too much rock. Whatever. You have to remember that that was not anything near pop at the time of course now we hear it and we're like holy shit that's so pop rock right i wouldn't because, even call because it of that really heavy rock Matt, anymore about 90 percent of those bands that you named compared them to at the time i had never even heard of mm-hmm. yeah they were yeah they were not very well known and the point that they make when they say that they were a leader in this which is, and they are right in saying this is because they were in a genre and a cat subcategory and they did so well, it allowed radio, radio DJs to go, Oh, well, Def Leppard has, you know, just was just certified gold as USA number one and they're considered heavy metal. So therefore now we can get more heavy metal music played on the radio and get these albums out. And that's really how it worked. They were kind of like a gateway. Like they helped open the gate. Did they belong right. in some of course? they didn't all belong together but we didn't subgenre shit back then but they are considered leaders and that is a fact because with that tag heavy metal you were allowed to play a lot a lot of shit that was much harder than that on the radio and on mtv and get more of those albums and singles out because of that tag heavy metal well it's a tag that should have an asterisk next to it 
It's I'm sorry. you couldn't it, back okay, then. Okay, okay. Sounds no of the times. Sounds then. of the times. I got it. You guys are buying music. I was shitting my diaper. I get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, yeah. So yeah, this album. <sighs> I like the album cover. I mean, I much prefer if the crosshairs on the album cover were pointed at my head than, you know, wow, the building. Wow, really? This that bad? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I just, maybe it's my personal dislike for what I call glam rock or glam pop rock or whatever you want to classify it as, however you want to break it down. Maybe it's just my dislike for it, but I just don't like it. And for me to get through this album from A to Z was really difficult because I just don't mm. think it's good music. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, and that's why, that's you know, before we were rec- before we recorded, you know, I had said that this band is a complete paradox to me because the numbers, you can't discount the numbers. I mean, the numbers are astronomically amazing. I mean, two Diamond Records, one of the top-selling acts of all time, uh, they were battling it out with some of the greatest songs ever written at the time. Yes. When you mentioned the songs, I mean, Beat It, the list goes on with the songs that they were duking it out with and in some cases winning those battles on the charts with. So you can't discount that. But to me, it's just a paradox because I I just don't like the sound. Maybe it's just me. I don't like the sound. These guys are all fucking ugly. I mean, there's no one good looking guy in the whole what? group. What the fuck does that have to do with it? I don't know. What does that have to do with it? I know. I'm just Because the guys in Slayer are hot. Like, who fucking is no, but I mean, shit? you know, you, you go back like to Dio? bands. Oh, you go yeah. Back Ronnie to James like Dio. I mean, he no, was a fucking babe. There's no Brett like, Michaels in there. There's a, no freaking, you know, David Lee Roth in there, man. They don't Those are the glam guy. rockers. Who gave a fuck? Yeah, they weren't Def Leppard was never a glam rock. No. band like you brought up no no not at all never no so nobody gave a shit about what they fucking looked like they go out there in their jeans and t-shirts and play freaking rock and roll well, not the way actually... they look no but the way they sound yeah no oh, but yeah. that was all so okay so you're telling me photograph you don't think photograph is a good song, good song. no you don't wow. think rock of ages is a good song I know it, but I don't think it's a good song. You no. don't think "Foolin" is a good song? I don't Have like. You- I, I guess I don't like the, that cookie cutter sound. That's but you know? this. And I said well, the same okay. thing with Lita. This was not on, cookie cutter. Okay, hang at on the just time. a second. Hang on just a second. Just, Let me tell you something about what why because they came out with so, it four no, years no, no, before wait. somebody else did. No, 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 no. That's something that's so interesting. I'm so glad you just said that. Yeah, I don't like that cookie cutter sound. This is what I'm going to tell you, my dear. The first person who created the cookie cutter was a fucking genius. Because the next person that saw it went, oh, my God, all I have to do is press it down. I don't have to actually cut the design out myself. Fuck, yeah. Okay, so they... 20 years later... Wait a minute, let me finish. 20 years later, everybody else is doing it. It's like, oh, whoop-de-fucking-do. Your cookies look like stars. Your cookies look like perfect snowmen. Yeah, duh. Cookie cutters. This was not a cookie cutter sound at the time. This was a new sound. It may be a sound that you don't like. That's fine because that's subjective. That's your opinion. That's your taste. And taste cannot be argued. But this was a new sound. This was a not really a not done sound like they did it. The fact that we do call it pop rock now wasn't done like that not with the hard edge not with the catchy 
choruses, not with the hooks. The way they did it was very new, and it became a thing. It's considered easy. They helped create the cookie cutter. Okay, right, I hate exactly. them even more. Okay, they didn't. They didn't use the cookie cutter. They put the oven on and put the cookies in the oven. Okay, I hate them even more for that. <laughs> you're not. That's just my opinion. It's fine. No, I get it. No, I get it. I get no, it. if you don't like it, that that's fine. Yeah, it's, just, it's all it's, subjective, but uh, we're just trying to give you a, a perspective about how they were viewed at no, the time. No, and I get it, and I get it. And sure. as I had said before, you can't discount the success. You can't discount the numbers. Well, I think you can't discount deserve, any of that stuff. And I think they deserve the respect for that success because oh, hell yeah. their I, success... Yeah. Did you listen to their first two albums? Yes, I listened to the first four, yes. Okay, so High and Dry and Through the Night were very, very popular. Those were not produced by... It was not this big production. It was not if you... You know, the the way you're kind of um, positioning them to be hadn't happened to them yet. They just happened to write easy-to-listen-to rock. They just happened to write popular rock. I mean, that's just what they did. It's just who they are. So I think that they deserve the respect to say, you know, they were in a burgeoning time for a type of music, and they helped to create a whole genre of music, actually. And they helped open the door for a lot of the bands that we fucking love. Thank you for that, Right place, right time. No, 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 yeah. no. I don't believe that at all. I believe it was their sound. There are a lot of other bands that we could say that about, but I believe a band like this, with the staying power that they have, it was their sound, and that sound, they just happened to hit on it. Well, that and, sound you know, at that time, at that time, that sound at that time, if, if, you're, if you're talking that sound coming out in 92 or 93, it's not the same. You're not talking the same thing. No, it's not the so same. So time and place is part of that, that. yes. Okay, but yeah. I think they deserve the respect for being genre creators, and I think they deserve the respect for kicking open the door for a lot of other bands and for actually a lot of other bands. I mean, there's an article out there, it's a huge list of bands that say, well, when we heard Def Leppard being called Heavy Me- hey, heavy Metal Band is on the radio and is on the air MTV, and this that, well, we were like, fuck yeah, went to our album and mm-hmm. said, we got to do that too, and they were much harder than Def Leppard was. Yeah. I what agree with everything you said. Uh, and I was going to say that <clears throat> Def Leppard, they kind of helped pave the way for Metallica actually to start getting radio play. Other bands like that, they helped to break that barrier between the heavy metal sound and, you know, top 40 radio. They did. They absolutely did. For Like I said, for a ton of the bands that we have covered on this show, that we listen to, that we love, bands that we have on our list that we want to talk about, they help to break open... To, to really open it up for those bands. And so for that, if nothing else, I'm very, very grateful to them for that. And, and it I, sucks that it had to be that, but that's and just, I never know, that's how it is. took away what they accomplished. I acknowledge Anyway, that. we've got another album here I to talk about. I, I, know, I, I acknowledge <laughs> what they did, and it's astounding that they did it, because those are numbers that very few people, bands or, or solo artists, can talk about those kinds of numbers so i did acknowledge that but and you know this might be the first time on the show ever where i had a hard time actually 
trying to be subjective, subjective, right? Subjective when you're trying to be down the middle. Be objective. 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 Thank you. I always get those two yes. confused. <laughs> um, be objective. Uh, and it was just tough for me to be objective because I just don't like the sound. But I tried. I really tried. Sure. But that's just my two cents. You know, you're illustrating a good point because I think your formative years, like early teens, that kind of establishes your baseline for what your sound is. And because Sailor and I grew up in that time, our baseline was kind of established with these kinds of hard rock and metal bands. You grew up, your teens was what, 10 years later? Uh, 15 years later? Well, my teens, yes. Maybe. And so you established your baseline sound in probably, what, the mid, mid-90s? I bur- when were, I bought, when, when I, were you in eighth grade? Freshman high school. Yeah, 98, 99, but I bought... Okay, yeah. so late 90s. Yeah. So that kind of set set the bar for you. Yeah, I bought, was the I bought sound my first time. set when I was eight. Yeah, so I mean, it was a little... In 92. I mean, I probably couldn't comprehend so what was going I, on. I think that has a lot to do with it. Of course. Personally. Like I said, sounds of the times. Yes. Right. Yeah. But like, so, you know, you, anyway. me- you mentioned Motley. Like, I like Motley. Like, there's some stuff that Motley did that I like. I okay. wouldn't put them in the same group maybe early oh, on totally with Death Leopard. But yeah. They were absolutely in the same group, though. Early as, on, yes. I would Metallica, say that their later stuff. You- it does, no, no, yeah. no, no. That's how. But it didn't work like that back then. I think that's what we're trying to illustrate is you yes, would say yes. in the same breath, Metallica, Molly Crew, Def Leppard, Poison. It was a bigger as box back then. Weird it was a bigger box. Sound, yeah. Yes, as fucking Rat, weird as that sounds right quiet now. Quiet Riot. You would have said yeah. all those bands in one breath and mm-hmm. it was all considered heavy metal. You know, yep. and then it was, oh, but this is this and this is that. And that came so much later. So to say... To say, like, you know, oh, I fucking hate them even more because they created the cookie cutter. I think that's all I'm saying is I think that's unfair just because it's not your preference uh, of style because you don't prefer the sound of their music. I don't think it's fair to say, you know, do you know what I'm getting at? I think that's just different because I, I miss the days when music was so much easier to categorize. <laughs> Well, there was a lot less music, you know, and when there's styles of music being formed and created, you know, that's the. And I get normal, it. And but, I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying, and it just maybe it's just my emotions talking. All right, but I think we. Yeah, we've gone on about this album long enough. How we move on to uh, hysteria? But I still love you guys. <laughs> we love you too, man. Even though you're wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> that was a Jake. That was a Jake right there. Mm-mm. That was a total Jake comment. <laughs> So, um, all right. So, Hysteria, you've got, I mean, it was technically a a more successful album. Well, yeah, Hysteria, this was my first CD purchase. When I got my CD player, it was brand new. It was a new album out in 87. I bought my CD player, and I went out, and the first album I bought was Hysteria um, by my favorite band at the time. Um, so I love this album. The first, I must say the first side of the album is definitely a lot stronger than the second side of the album. Um, some of my favorite songs, I think on this album 
Rocket and um, Gods of War were two songs that, although Rocket was popular, but I don't think that those two songs really got the popular as popular um, relative to how much I liked them. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were very innovative with the way they used sound clips in it. Now I know I got to give a nod to Pink Floyd because Def Leppard definitely wasn't the first band to use you know audio clips in their music, but um, I thought they did it very very well in this case. Um, the whole album I thought was very very good. I still consider this you know be one of my Desert Island albums. Um, I don't know how much I can say without repeating myself with stuff I've already said. So, um, Matt, did you like this album more or less than Pyromania? Just copy and paste everything I said before. Except I'll say, you know, fuck sugar, pour some gasoline on me and hand me a match. That's it. Wow. (laughs) It's like being on the flip side of the Slayer episode. Uh, Well, they were probably a little bit more kind than than I've been. (laughs) I don't know, man. I can't. I don't know. All right. Well. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I I mean, I think we've kind of exhausted the discussion. And um, I think it just comes down to now which album is going to win. I have to go with Pyromania. Um, To me, I can't live without Photograph. I can't live without Foolin'. I can't live without Rock of Ages. No fucking way. And as cheesy as it is, Too Late for Love. I fuck. I fucking love that song. I I do. I love it. Um, I I like the songs on Hysteria. They're okay, but they don't feel as deep. And I think it's not. The album is a little bit lighter than Pyromania was. So for me, it's Pyromania all the way. One of my favorite albums of all time in rock. It will always be a favorite for me. Well, Hysteria. Love Bites was the first ballad they ever did. Yeah. So that was kind of a real that was a real change in pace for them um, when this album came out. I remember that was that was really kind of a shocker for people. Um, almost like on the order of like Metallica playing a song like Mama Said or something mm-hmm. like that when that came along. Um, but anyway of these two albums man, I tell you what it's like that that saying you know picking your favorite child um <laughs> god i love these it albums wasn't that hard so for much me. i thought it was going to be a lot more difficult and it really wasn't i can't i'll tell you what i came in thinking it would be hysteria hands down but after revisiting all these and going over again i'm not so sure it's it's hands down anymore um, even though Hysteria is definitely one of my favorite albums. God. You know what, Sailor? I didn't think this would happen, but I'm going to have to agree with you. Pyromania, I think I'm going to go Pyromania, even though coming into this, I was heavily leaning towards Hysteria. I, I, was, I felt very split, 50-50 coming into it. And when I actually sat down and listened to how many times I went, oh, fuck yeah, I got to keep this song. And that, because that's how I listen to them. I'll jumble them yeah. up. I don't even, so I'll listen to it. I'll do one album consecutive, the second album consecutive, and then I'll shuffle them both. 
And that's when I start eliminating songs. Like, all right, if I, and then I don't even remember what out, you know, and then I look and go, okay, what songs did I eliminate? What songs are like must keeps? And that's kind of how I figure it out. And with Pyromania, it was like the, so there's so many must keeps on it. So, so I guess the question to Matt is, which album offended you, do you the hate least? Love? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually do have a pick out of this. I was amazing as that song. All right. Um, so I have to agree with both of you. I have to go with Pyromania. Um, if nothing, if not for the fact that it was released in '84, and that is the greatest year of music, in my opinion. '83. '83. I fucking hate it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a pick. Um, no, I mean, t- uh, God. Well, I it's mean, like, we it's like choosing between shit. It's like choosing so. between shit. You might as well make it unanimous. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like choosing between well. shit and vomit, man. It's like, well, pick yeah. one. I mean, to me, I'd yeah. rather. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll stick with Pyromania. All right. Yeah. Well. All right. So Matt's um, resounding endorsement of the album there. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> listeners, if you haven't guessed already, <laughs> if that wasn't clear enough, <laughs> we have all chosen Pyromania in this album battle <laughs> for Def Leppard. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let's wrap this bitch up rather quickly, shall we? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so to all our listeners, we want to give you a huge thanks and thank you for joining us on this episode. And man, it's probably a good thing Jake wasn't here because we probably could have gone on another oh, hour. Damn! Oh, I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't. I'm afraid to know. I think how you would have been in down. my boat a little bit. Uh, there's, um, I just have a feeling. I have. I God, this would have been a mess. There would have been gunfire. For buildings burning. This may have been our last episode. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> well, just there aren't many times, and I, the, maybe never, but there are not many times where Seller and I so strongly disagree on something. That's we usually true. have the same taste. This is true. Yeah. Usually it's you two yeah. against Jake. Yeah, and this I. may be exactly. the first time. Yep. Maybe the second time we've disagreed so wholeheartedly on, on some stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Is there anything anyone wants to bring up that you maybe you've been listening to or watching that you want to share with our MRW community? Well, I we did go see When Particles Collide. Uh, I know I mentioned last on last week's episode that we were going to see them, and we went to see them. Uh, local, cool local uh, craft cocktail bar here in, in Del or in Delray, which is the next town over. And man, they killed it again, man. They always, they always kill it. And uh, they did an acoustic set this time. The, the first time Jen and I saw them, they did, um, you know, full plug-in and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Just really cool vibe, great set. And they are just amazing people. And, you know, we, we live streamed and thank you to everybody who, uh, and there were a few people, a few, few of you out there that came in and watched it uh, with us live. Yeah, I caught a little you bit of it. You caught a little bit yeah. of it. Yep, yep, yep mm-hmm. you were there. 
Yep, um, as much as I could. So it was good. Um, Jen did a live interview with them too. A couple people looked looked in on that. So thank you for mm-hmm. checking out both Metal Rock and Whiskey on that. And pretty good for a girl. We were both live streaming from that. And uh, I hope you know the people that saw the the interview really get to see how real these people are and how talented they are. And uh, you know support your small local bands that you go see because it's really especially important. Especially touring bands. Especially touring bands. And these guys are the epitome of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we got to spend some time with them, you know, after the show and, and get to see their setup, you know, how they travel and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's very important. These guys are, are living their dream and they're talented and they're getting their music out there for you. Um, so, you know, throw them a little bit of love when you can um, check out their website. They got merch, they got, albums you know they got a tip jar just go support that local music it, it really helps out absolutely absolutely and in addition to that um you were posting pictures of what you guys were drinking oh yes yes and you were drinking a oh, cocktail yeah. out of a mini bathtub okay so this is funny so so <laughs> the waiter we had there, um, and I'm going to give him a shout out because his name is Dan, uh, and the place is Dada in Delray. Damn. So if you go to Dada in Delray, ask for Dan to be your waiter because the guy was amazing. Um, I can appreciate a server who takes the time to learn his entire menu, all the ingredients, mm. all the cocktails, all the ingredients in the cocktails, and talks about it with passion to the nth degree. I can really appreciate that. Um, so, you know, we had him, and he, you know, I ordered the gin, this gin cocktail. Uh, and he says it comes in a ceramic tub. And I thought he was making a joke. Like, I thought he was making a bathtub gin joke. I'm like, oh, haha, okay. So <laughs> he goes and he brings it, and it's a mini little bathtub <laughs> with a straw in it. And I was like, oh, I thought you were joking. I thought you were making some weird bathtub gin joke. He's like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> we have, I'm like, where do you get these tiny little bathtubs? Like, everyone, That's what I wanted. That's yeah, the first yeah. question I had. I'm like, I thought I, I should have asked them. I thought in my head. Yeah. And I'm like, where do you get hundreds of these? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazon.com. Like everything else probably. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but great presentation. Great cocktails. Definitely. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. That's I saw that uh, Instagram post as soon as you put it up. Mm-hmm. All right, but before we get out of here, let's listen to one more thing. So to all of our listeners, our fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey. Save the E. Ed. Save it. And they can find me on Instagram as well at Bourbon Geek. Sailor, how about you? You can find me on the internet as Sailor Retro, and also you can find our Jakey as Bourbon Spartan on Instagram. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we did, and as Jake would say, but now my glass is empty and it's time to go. Be sure to tip your waitress, we're out. And then I would say, fuck you, Lars. Later, everyone. See ya. 
Let's get the rock out of here. I love you.